been enacting uh, in certain aspects of your life. And I have with me a young lady uh, that is going to be uh, just such an amazing part of this discussion. Uh, and that is Sister Star. And yes, she is definitely a star uh, in many senses. Uh, in that uh, a star uh, does lots of great things for the community, uh, for this world. Uh, and so I'm excited about this discussion. Y'all know we have this partnership with Thriving uh, that has been such a blessing to us. Y'all know we have uh, coming up in September and in October, we've got our financial boot camp. So you need to fill out the link. Come on, people. It's going to be awesome. You need to be a participant in this uh, boot camp because it's going to be a blessing with you. So, uh, Sister Star, uh, talk to us, introduce yourself, tell us about yourself. Uh, important information we should know. Uh, please fill us in. Absolutely. Can you hear me clearly? I can hear you loud and clear. You come. All right. Great. This is awesome. This is my first time ever being on IG Live talking to someone. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a blessing that this even works. So thank you for making the process super simple and easy to do. Good. 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 Yes, so thank uh, you. tell us, uh, how did you get connected? Uh, with uh, Thriving. Yes. So, Pastor, I've been working with Thriving for about four and a half years. So I'm currently in Atlanta. So I serve the Atlanta, Florida, um, North Carolina, and South Carolina markets. Um, my primary focus is in Atlanta, Georgia, and the metro. So most of Georgia, um, with the exception of Savannah. Miko, who is in your area in Texas, would be with you today, in front of you today, but she had another obligation so she asked me if I would go ahead and have this important conversation with you. And I know our paths crossed last year when we were hosting a workshop. So I was like, absolutely, I will do it. Absolutely. So just glad to be here with you today. Well, that is awesome. When the idea first came up with, uh, and I always say Nico, uh, was that uh, I was just so enamored with what she does. Like some of the conversations we have, uh, it is more than just business. Uh, it's the heart of how she talks about the business that she does. Uh, and so I was interested in learning more about that heart uh, because uh, it's a beauty to see someone working in something that they're passionate about uh, because it's a whole different type of joy, satisfaction uh, that you see and that you experience. And when I listen to her talk, I'm like, man, I want other people to have that same experience uh, because as a kid, we were kind of inspired to go after money. Uh, and so we pursued money. We uh, worked in fields and pursued jobs that would produce and give us a certain type of yield. But then every once in a while you run into someone that's in their passion and you're like, you know what? I dump about 30 to 40,000 of this to <laughs> to feel Absolutely. like they do about my job, uh, to feel as complete as they do about their job. And then uh, hopefully we'll, we'll look into this because it's just, I think sometimes we make the assumption that if we work in the thing that we're passionate about, that we're always going to be broke. And it's like, no, 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 no. Absolutely. <laughs> very, very prosperous. So let's talk about that. How did you, uh, how did you get into uh, this is this your first uh, assignment or did you kind of bridge into it from something else? 
No, actually, so mine is a God story on how I even landed at Thrive. It like really is. So I had previously come from a 20-year career in healthcare. And I was having this crazy commute. It was about an hour and 45 minutes one way. So I was in traffic, in Atlanta traffic, you know anything about that, for three plus hours. Every single day, uh, Monday through Friday, for about two years. So I was saying, God, I know you have something better in store for me than this city traffic. Yeah. Uh, so which I have to say, though, during that time, there were some things that I could do. You know, that was some undevoted time that I could spend with God. Um, I often joke that I should have really gotten serious about learning another language. You know, that would have been three hours <laughs> of practice every day. Um, every so, day. Yeah. Every day. But I didn't do that. And that's OK. So when I was there, my prayer was, God, what is my next assignment? Knowing that I wanted to do something that was a little bit different from what I was doing, but it had to be missional. When you work in healthcare, you see what you're doing, right? So you see a patient come in, even if they pass away, their family is there. So ministry happens when a family dies. So there's always, you always see your work. And what's happening in healthcare. So I was like, I need something that's in the nonprofit sector or something. And I was finishing up a master's degree in coaching psychology. So I just put in like coaching jobs and Thrivent popped up. When it popped (laughs) up though, their website was, it had Peter 410. And I was just like, okay. So I'm a PK. So I was like, okay, they're Christian. They're faith forward. They're not hiding that they are Christian and serve Christians. They've been around for over 100 years. Mom was just like, they're Habitat for Humanity's largest corporate sponsor. Mm. They're spending hundreds of million dollars every single year in communities. But I had never heard of them before. Can this be, this is just too good to be true. Too good to be true. And you work from home. And you work from home. And you work, something's not right about this. I started calling around and asking people, um, asking my dad, who was in insurance for about 30 years, had he ever heard of them? And he was like, I have not. But he started doing research. And he was like, well, they're voted one of the world's most ethical companies every single year. They're A++ rated in all of their insurance products, so they're solid. So that night, I was doing an assignment in my coaching book, and I turned to my assignment for that night, and it was on Thriving Financial. Wow. Now, the text was about 10 years old, because you know our textbooks in school is usually pretty old. And I almost, they were in there. there. The same night that I was questioning, (laughs) is this a legitimate opportunity? And all I could say was, thank you, God. There goes confirmation. I called, uh, so the recruiter called me back shortly after that. And I said, well, I'm going to do my best on these interviews. I said, but I need to let you know that I'm supposed to be working for your company. Mm. And she was kind of like, okay. I was like, no, this is a God thing. This has been ordained before this conversation. You're in my textbook. And I sent a picture to her and she was floored. Yeah. (laughs) And four and a half years later, I'm here at Thriving. At Thriving. Now, let me ask you a question. The first question I had was, what came first for you? Uh, Was it a passion for the community 
always the passion to be generous. Mm. But what came first? Did did you yeah. did you always have? When I thought about this, I was thinking about when I was talking to Nico. Uh, did you always have a generous spirit about you? Where it's like, hey, if I got it, it's yours. Or did you get to a point where you looked at the the the, the community, and with those the, the mission that we have in our in our faith uh, mm -hmm. is to be like Christ, to have His eyes, and that compassion for the community then brought forth generosity. So, w which one was it for you? I, you know what? I'll say generosity probably came first. I grew up always understanding that you pay your tithe and your offering to the church, right? Well, you then I see, you did. Right? <laughs> Listen, I know. We yeah, were saving our hours and our Sunday school. We were playing our little offering in Sunday school as a small yeah. child. But the generosity component in very practical ways stood out to me. So my, and I'm going to ask you a question if you don't mind. Oh, yeah, um, but yeah. I'm going to share mine with you. So my earliest memory of generosity, I had to be around maybe, maybe eight, maybe eight years old. And my dad is one of 11 children. And my grandfather uh, passed away when my grandmother was pregnant with number 11. So my dad always had a heart for big families. So a big family moved across the street from us when we were kids. And I can remember pulling up in my dad's big old white sedan <laughs> with that light baby blue rag top. And we had all of these groceries. And my dad said, his kids were across the street kind of looking like, wow, that's a lot of food. My yeah. dad instructed us, take the groceries across the street. Mm. And I said, okay. I took my pudding pops out the bag, though. Yeah. And surely yeah. they don't need these pudding pies. They can yeah, have we gonna keep these pudding pies. <laughs> they can have his applesauce. They can't get these pudding pops. That's not yeah. what happened on my wife. They on assignment. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. So I left the pudding pops and my dad, I came back across, proud that we gave kids all our groceries. And my yeah. dad handed me the pudding pops and yeah. said, Give the children these pudding pops. And I didn't understand. I was a little mad to be honest. I was being yeah, selfish. Yeah, yeah. And my dad said, sometimes you have to give your best. So when you think about generosity, even like food can drives, I've seen people give all the things that they don't want out of their, yeah. like, oh, I ain't going to eat these peas or I'm not going to eat this, whatever. And they give that. They'll give clothes that, oh, they, they need to be mended. They're not the right size. But will you give your best? Mm. And that always stood out to me from the generosity component. So what about you, Pastor? What's your earliest memory of generosity? Uh, well, mine is very similar to yours. Uh, my father became an attorney. And, um, and, and so we were in, in the south side of Houston, so South Park, uh, uh, Texas, rather. Mm -hmm. And my father became an attorney, so we were one of the most prominent members of our community because uh, he was an attorney and people would come to him and ask him to do cases for them, but they didn't have money. Mm -hmm. So he did a lot of pro bono work just, just because. And uh, so he was always doing this for people. And as kids, we're like, bro, you're giving away money. Like, what is you doing? <laughs> like you didn't become an attorney to give away all of our cash. You, you, you keeping us here. We trying to get out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Oh, really? We were trying to get out. We, we, like, we trying to get out. We, we trying to move on up, and you giving away the cash. But seeing my father like that made me just like your moment with those pudding pops. It brought a lot of things into question, and that's what first started breeding that desire to be generous. Uh, also, being the oldest child, sharing was always a part of the discussion. I'm the oldest of four children. Uh, and so those things are kind of the backdrop of my experience with being generous, uh, seeing it modeled for me, and then also seeing we didn't miss out on nothing. Mm. Like, no, we really did not miss out on anything. <laughs> there was plenty. We still end up moving out of the neighborhood. Uh, and we had, uh, my father had blessed so many families in that time. Now, the, the second memory that I have uh, is when we first started First Metropolitan Church. And a lot of people don't know this, but my father did not take a salary for, I believe it was the first 11 years that the ministry was founded. So we literally, uh, we, I say we, he literally took love offerings. Uh, and it was, if it was 25, it was, 20, it was 100, it was 100. And so he did that for the first 11 years. And so we also as a family, not only were tithing our income, uh, but also we were dependent upon generosity of, of those who we were seeding into. So we were practicing and we were also receiving. Uh, and it made you appreciate it a lot more uh, because people were literally choosing to, to pour into your life. Uh, and so I've had some pretty good experiences on a base level with yeah. generosity uh, as well. Uh, so when, when you talk about that, those are the things that kind of build you up and to position you to where you don't really hold on to money like that. You respect mm -hmm. money. Like I respect money yep. uh, because I know it's a seed and I know we have to be strategic with it, but I'm not so married to it that I'm afraid to let it go. You know what I'm saying? And, and I don't worship it. It's just, a part of what God gives us to be, to make moves. <laughs> you absolutely, know what I mean? absolutely, absolutely, and that's one of our that's one of our uh, things that we strongly believe that money is not a goal; it's a tool, it's a resource to advance the kingdom, to bless neighborhoods, communities. But it's not the goal. Like the goal is not I want to make one point five million dollars this year just to make it important. Um, yes. Through research, one of the things that we have learned is when people have a strong financial plan, they're going to be more generous. Yes. They're going to be more generous because if you don't have a plan, like I think of people that I know that are in scarcity mode yeah. and a lot of them have a lot of money, but they don't have what if something happens fund. So if the ceiling falls in today, you know, I can't work because I have to have emergency surgery. They don't have a plan. They don't have, uh, you know what? We seen that last year, 2020. Yeah. That proverbial, our grandparents taught us always have a runny, a rainy, excuse me, day fund. Yeah. And if you did not have it in 2020 and something happened with your job or your finances because of COVID, there were a lot of people that suffered financial loss because they weren't ready. And our grandparents been telling us forever. Have yeah. something to decide. Have something to decide. Well, yeah. what's interesting about generosity is uh, 
you talk about something that I, th I think that bears mentioning. A lot of people will say, well, I can't afford to tithe or I can't afford to be generous. And really, the I guess the enemy at some level of generosity would be wasteful. Uh, mm. Because when you're not, when you're wasteful with your money, then even though your heart may say, bless Sister Jenkins, get, get that 20, you're like, I don't have it to give. Like, or uh, the kids go off to school every year. We see those kids up front, it's like, man, I, I want to give them something. But you just wasted that money uh, on something, and now you don't have it to give. Uh, and, and so when you think about that, the, the role that budgets play, the role that, uh, that um, being strategic with your resources play and being a benefit to the community, uh, would you say that this might be part of why our communities seem to center around lack uh, because we're, it's not that we don't have resources, it's that we haven't learned how to be disciplined and strategic enough with them so that we can support the things that need to be supported. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think about that when I see people who communicate that they don't have a lot and, I, and that's why they don't give a lot. And I always wonder, like, why? Like, what is it really? Like, yeah. do you have a little so you don't give? Or do you not, or do you not give, and that's why you have little? Yes. Because any, yes. anyone that I know that is good givers, God has always blessed with provision. I can even look at my daughter. My daughter has been tithing since probably middle school, and as a struggling college student, she always gave, and God always had provision for her. So that is the question that I ask. You know, myself, I ask people. Why? Like, like, are you sure it's not the other way? Are you sure? Because you can't outgive God. We know that. Yeah. We, we know that it's been tested. Um, but I do think that it comes back to sorting what God has blessed us well. And really, and sometimes I think people look at their budgets and they don't understand that you do, you do want to have something in there that is... Um, I don't want to say rewarding you, but looking at the reward system well. Like a lot of people will say, oh, I've been good on my budget and I worked hard this year. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy something that creates more debt for them. To me, like the biggest joy is being able to make an extra payment on student loan. Yes. That, because once I can get that off of top of my head or pay my mortgage off quicker, that right there means that I don't have to work as long and as hard. That's the reward. It's not something that going to get a brand new fancy car that depreciated as soon as I drove off the lot. Yeah. That's just more debt because now I have a car payment because I couldn't afford to pay for it outright. So looking at even that reward system just a little bit differently. Yeah. I, I think what's interesting is that we hang our hats as believers uh, on certain scriptures, right? But no one is saying he gives seed to the sower, <laughs> You know, uh, and, and saying, wait a minute, that's scripture, too. Uh, and this idea that as we continue to sow, mm -hmm. uh, he continues to give seed. Uh, and that sowing is not just always about uh, us investing in our future financial endeavors. Sometimes that sowing is investing into others or sowing into others. Mm -hmm. and understanding that as I continue to sow, he will continue to give seed and I continue to be generous, he will continue to make one prosperous, not for the sake of making prosperous, but for the sake of continuing to sow seeds into all of these different things that need 
our financial support and also the need to experience just the general love of Christ. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk to you about that because generosity is passion. Um, what is it like, or do you do certain things to flame the fashion, the passion, or the to fan the flame of generosity, or is it something that it just naturally burns in you, uh, and you just continue to look for ways to, to uh, to demonstrate what what God has uh, gifted you to do? Yeah, yeah. So I'll tell you, in this season, I'm looking at generosity um, as an and. Because I think for a long time, people tie generosity back to money and gifts and tangible things. And now I'm like, that's good. But time, time mm -hmm. is the most valuable currency in some situations. And I look at examples like, let's just say like kids want to raise money for their basketball team or their football team, right? Yeah. Um, it's probably easier to... To your you know to get to your goal then it would be for them to actually sit down and spend time with you and be generous in their time i'm looking at even the generation of young people that are out in the world we have young people that don't know how to fix a tire yeah that don't know how to cook a spaghetti dinner yeah. that because you know as parents and a lot of times you have to have two parents working these days so we're just giving our kids stuff you know we're just doing stuff yeah. Oh, I got a flat tire. Well, it's easier for me to go and fix it than to actually walk you through it, allow you to be comfortable in making the mistakes and walking you through the process. So when I look at ways of being generous, sometimes it's not even about the money. It goes back to that. If you give somebody fish, they can eat for the day. But if I teach you how to fish, you know, now you can kind of feed yourself for, you know, forever. And well, I think let me interrupt you, Sister Star. I'm just going to interrupt you. Because you know the problem that we have. Yeah. Don't nobody want to learn nothing? Like, you we, you offer a free workshop. Y'all offered yep. a free workshop last year. Yeah. I was on with eight sessions with uh -huh. a financial guru. And it, it was a lot of people on there. Let me not, not say that. But it should have been a thousand people on that broadcast. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> this guy, oh, yeah. he was like, you know what? buy the book to support your boy but i'm gonna tell you what's in this book and you don't even have to buy the book <laughs> you know and it was free and you still can't people can't get people to get on and get the information so yes we need to to invest that time mm -hmm. but how how do we i guess uh, at some level i guess the word we should use is pride uh in oh. that some people are too prideful to actually sit down and to learn at the feet of someone who has done uh, or to accept the information that is coming. How, how, how do we get people to sit still long enough uh -huh. to go into them? You just said a whole word. <laughs> you literally, you, you really did because I was sharing information with someone <clears throat> who's looking to start a business. Yeah. And I was sharing that there's somebody who has successfully already done it. And I was like, you know, this person probably would talk to you for 15, 20 minutes, share contacts. And they're like, oh, okay. But they never followed up and called the person. And I'm just like, so it comes up with that, that ego sometimes rise, raises up in us. And we think we know everything or we want to, I, and you know, and 
and I don't know if that's a generational thing. So I try to say, where did I go wrong in my approach when I'm trying to share with people? Did I come off as a know-it-all? Did I start with asking them questions first to engage them and then sharing? Um, sometimes you have to attach a dollar to things. Like we have tons of things that we can give away for free and people will sign up, but then they don't come or they don't get online because there's no value, there's no skin in the game. So sometime when you attach a price to it and it's exclusive, you know, then people will be more apt to get it. There's a trick, and not that any of us church people know about clubs, but there's an old trick no, with club owners <laughs> that they would have people stand outside of the club and there would not be a soul inside. Mm. But it helps with curb appeal because you're like, oh, look at how many people want to get into that club. And yeah. there's not anybody in there. You get there's in, you go two people in there. Yeah. <laughs> but it creates that it's exclusive or they're capping it off. You know, the, only the first 25 people can attend. It's a shame that we have to do it that way, but that's just something that's something that works. That's something I that might, works. I might try that on Sunday. Come on now. Try it. <laughs> <laughs> Only the 25 people are going to get yeah. this good word on this day. <laughs> and that's Lord, it. that is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's a shame that something like that would have to be done. Uh, but it, and, I, and I think the, the other thing that you're tying into is this generational gap uh, in, in the sense that our grandparents and our great grandparents, they were a part of a community that laid heavy on generosity mm -hmm. uh, because of what they were up against. They realized that that communal nature, that communal uh, perspective, that, that, that tie that bound them together uh, was needed. And even though we understand uh, that there are some obstacles out there. It's a shame that most of us seem to want to go the course by ourselves. Uh, and so we're no longer sewing into each other. I, every time I hear uh, the commercial on there, it talks about sewing into black businesses and how our black dollars are still going outside the community. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what? I, I get it. We all want to be able to buy everything, but wow it's a shame that a commercial like that would even have to be made. It would seem like mm -hmm. we would understand the need to sew into our own, not exclusively, mm -hmm. but at least to some degree to make sure that our black business owners uh, and minority business owners in general would be able to, to have the ability to catch up <laughs> uh, yeah, with yeah. some of these other places. Yeah, I think that's because the, there's a lack of community in certain areas not in all areas but when i look at a place like um atlanta or or, or these metropolitan places that black people maybe go to school and then they stay or they move to that sense of community is not there like it used to be you no longer know your neighbors right so yeah. you know back in the day i think when things were seemed to be smaller you knew Mr. Johnny that ran the ice cream parlor. And then when you were buying stuff, you knew that was going to put shoes on his kids' feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you knew that and you saw that you worshiped. You went to church, you went to school with those people. But today it just seems like 
with more options, right? And the Amazons of the world, we don't understand what happens because we're more concerned with convenience yeah. and we don't see ourselves in other people that look like us. Like something happened that we lost connectivity. So when I think about my dollars, you know, and the black community, it doesn't feel the same way that if I was living in a Jewish community in Brooklyn, right? Or in Asian communities, or even in Latina communities, like they're connected. Yeah. They have stories that bind them. They have cultural traditions that bind them and their dollars stay in their community. They would never walk past a black beauty supply place and go to, you know, to another, they just would, but that happens here. That's, I mean, the Asian community has been very blessed by us. Yeah. You know, like their, their, their wing spots or their, their Chinese restaurants, their beauty supply, where we get our nails done. We bless the Asian community and I'm good with that. Yeah. But in turn, we need to make sure that when a black family is trying to establish a business, that we are also blessing them with our dollars and we want them to win. Yeah, and that is a challenge that that whole crab in a barrel thing continues mm. to kind of be permeated in our community. When you were talking, I, I wrote, uh, you said there was a lack of community and I wrote down, there's a lack of community, but a bounty of competition. Uh, so we're, we're seeing each other more as competitors uh, as in, you know, even in corporate America, I, I was talking to one of my uh, good friends and, and he said, I got here because there was an older gentleman that saw me and took me under his wing. Uh, and so I did the same thing. But he said, there's five or six other guys that are in the same company who won't mentor someone because they see that person as the one that's trying to take their spot. And so we are still looking at each other as there's only going to be one black face at the table. Mm -hmm. It might as well be me, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and not understanding that the way this thing is played is, you know, only as useful as the time they need you. Uh, and often they're going to cycle you out anyways. Yeah. You know? uh, and so we have to continue preparing our brothers and positioning our sisters to make sure that there is this next man that is qualified and experienced enough and wise or woman I say that as well. Um, there is this next person, rather, that is qualified and ready to sit in this seat. And we Absolutely. have to do our job to make sure we don't take that wisdom and experience to the grave. Uh, so w what is it like um, for us? Uh, let me ask this. What role do you believe generosity plays in prosperity? Uh, mm -hmm. Do you believe that there's a role that generosity plays in prosperity? I do. I do. When you look at people that are, that have joy, first of all, let me just start and say that that joy comes from God. I don't believe yeah. that man-made things give you, you know, give you joy, but yeah. there are some things that you can do to, um, to retain it and to nurture it and to foster it. And to me, that is all about what you're giving back into the world. You know, because themselves. Oh, we have to do our job to make sure we don't take that wisdom and experience to the grave. Uh, so, w what is it like um, for us? Uh, let me ask this: What role do you believe generosity plays 
in prosperity. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you believe that there's a role that generosity plays in prosperity? I do. I do. When you look at people that are, that have joy, first of all, let me just start and say that that joy comes from God. I don't believe yeah. that man-made things give you, you know, give you joy. But yeah. there are some things that you can do to, um, to retain it and to nurture it and to foster it. And to me, that is all about what you're giving back into the world. You know, because when something, and almost when you think about it, generosity can be a selfish act. Because you hear people say, oh, when I give, it makes me feel good. Yeah. To see yeah. the faces of the children light up. You know, like some of that, you're get, so you're getting you get something, something from it. Yeah. You're getting something back. Yeah. Even if you intentionally aren't doing it, you're getting, you're getting more back than you can ever, that you can ever give out and put out into the world. So when you look at people, and I was privileged to, and it might have been eight or nine years ago, I uh, visited the Chick-fil-A campus, which is down in the southern part of Atlanta. And I visited the campus, and I was given a book about the founder of Chick-fil-A, Truett Cathy. And the story was that his dad sat him down. They looked at the wealthiest people in the country. And his dad was like, these were the wealthiest people that were in the country in whatever year that was. And then look what happened to them. Look at their plight. They were either in jail, most of them, for like embezzlement and all that kind of wire fraud stuff. A lot of them killed themselves. Because money was their God. Yeah. So they didn't understand the principle of why God even allows you to be prosperous. And it's surely not to hoard it all. It surely is to advance the kingdom, right? To serve God and serve others. So I believe that if you want to maintain that joy that God has given you and you want to be happy and live a fulfilled life, it's tied to who you are in this life and the way that you're serving God and God's people. If you are a, a believer in that, and not everybody is, um, but because I am, I understand that that's something that, that I'm mandated to do. Yeah. Why is... Um... You use that that word hoarding, <laughs> and and I, I wrote down sharing is underrated. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> sharing is underrated, and one of the things that um, you you use is this word hoarding, and I was talking about how it's it is crazy that we would have something that we haven't used in thirty years, and I'm exaggerating because then it would be not needed for anybody. Yeah. But still be willing to not part with it when we see that someone else could use it right now. Hold on to something that we might be able to use in five years, and there's somebody right this moment that could use it and pros- be prosperous with it, yeah. and we won't, we won't do that. Why is sharing so underrated? This hoarding I, mentality. I think it goes back to scarcity, that scarcity yeah. mentality that if I give it away, you know, then I, you know, then I won't have it anymore. And what, it, what happens if I need it? You know, it, it, it's that scarcity mentality that kind of keeps us tied up with our finances, why we won't um, even just go out on faith sometime yeah. and, and start the business or write a check that's a little bit bigger to our church than we, than we really, you know, believe that we can't afford. And not to say that we should be making foolish decisions with our money or the things that we have 
but we have to trust that if God is our source and that's what we're claiming, that's then right. his resources have no limits. Yeah. It's limitless. God Limit. is limitless yeah. in his provision. So if we believe that, then why are we, you know, like yeah. afraid to give you, you know, you go to some people's homes and they have like stuff stacked on top of stuff, like uh, all the toilet paper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even get a roll. They got all of it. Yeah, that was so uh, discouraging during the actual pandemic when it first started, mm -hmm. that there were literally people that would go and buy up all of the toilet paper in a specific area <laughs> and then hop on uh, Amazon or uh, on eBay and then sell it back. And it's like, this is crazy. <laughs> like That is that is absurd to me. And then you crazy. want to sell it to make a profit off of yes. other people's lack. That's something wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, we, we should all we should all want to prosperous, but be prosperous. But at the same token, there should be some level of moral uh, responsibility, uh, and we should all be guided by specific ethical principles. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I'm not sure why that is so lacking. Uh, and now let's talk about that when it comes to generosity and prosperity, because there is a school of thought that to to sit at the table and to make that type of money that you got to be a shark that mm -hmm. you have to have these uh scrupulous type of uh ways about yourself uh some kind of uh, uh cruella deville yep. <laughs> type of you know mold and it's like nah like you you really can be a generous person uh and have certain morals and and, and values and still be prosperous so mm -hmm. How does your gift make room for you at the table? Because when you talk about your specific skill sets, I'm, of course, you're educated as well. Uh, but really, it's your heart in that generosity that has made a place at the table for you. So can you talk about how your gift really does make room for you? Yes, yes. So your, your gift usually, um, going back to all this new school thought of emotional intelligence and really getting to know the heart of people now, not even just looking on the paper to see what type of degrees that you have. But now it takes even more to set. There are so many people that are so educated and have accolades. So to your point, your gift makes you unique. Yeah. It positions you that there is one you with this skill. And when people see that you are going to be honorable, that you are going to, you know, have high integrity and ethics. You're not going to be selling your soul out for anything. People recognize that because there are people that are willing to give it all up just to have the seat at the table. And then the conversation is, how can we trust them? Yeah. How can you trust a person that is willing to do anything, say anything to have the seat at the table? You got to watch people like that. So when yeah. you show up as your authentic self and you are very clear of whose you are, yeah. which dictates who you are in life, then you, you, you set yourself apart. And that I believe that is where we're going. I think we're going to see a lot of more companies, and we're already seeing it, that are looking for socially responsible people, people yeah. that are missional. You have companies now that have whole departments focused on generosity and giving back into the community. And and I think that needs to be something that we push, you know, with our younger people, because uh, this was years ago when I was a youth pastor here, 
and we had some really, really talented athletes, but they would miss church from time to time. And I said, hey, look, I, I understand you got to train, but the league is moving more towards ethics. Uh, they're looking for people of character and, and that have uh, strong, fortified morals uh, because they understand they can invest a lot of money in you in one uh, massage off campus. <clears throat> uh, uh -huh. My boy, I love him, but can can end a whole uh, you know uh -huh. future for an entire organization. So they're looking for people that have morals and ethics and character and standards and and who won't be those hot buckets. I'm a, a cowboy fan, and so we've had a slew of people who have law and mercy derailed yeah. us for years. And so w when you're looking at these things, we should be able to speak to our people and say, hey, look, when you're pursuing Christ in this standard, uh, the, 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 the statement that I make to my girls all the time is righteousness is its own reward. Righteousness yeah. rewards itself. Like everyone else may take the crooked route. They may hook and crook and steal and lie and they may get there, but it'll be short lived. But when you are righteous, it's his own reward. And a lot of that reward is not what you give back, but it's what is birthed out of you. It's, mm. It is being able to look at yourself every morning and know I, I can sit in this car and, yeah, accidents happen, but nobody is after me. I've, I've done well and done good business with everybody. So there is no one out there that well, there's always going to be jealous and envious people. But there's no one that has malice in their heart towards me because of something that I've done. So when you're righteous, it literally is its own reward. And I also do be, believe that God not pays us back, but he rewards us for our righteousness. You know, in the sense that sometimes he makes these connections with people uh, that are able to seed into us, uh, not just financially, but like uh, we, my daughter and I, we ate breakfast with a young man who had just published a song uh, this summer. And my daughter, is, she's a phenomenal singer. And so I told her, I said, the fact that this young man was willing to sit with us is worth way more than the breakfast we just bought. <laughs> I mean, uh -huh. Uh -huh. we just got a thousand dollars for like 15 bucks. <laughs> uh -huh. Absolutely. You know? uh, and, and so when you talk about that seeding in of time, uh, if you would share with us, because I, I wrote down one of the questions was, our, what is our responsibility to build community? Uh, and of course, communities are made up of families as a church uh, and as individuals. Uh, so when you talk about seeding that time in the people, what is our responsibility to do that? Because sometimes we have to make an effort to actually get people to sit down and have that cup of coffee with us. Absolutely. So I think, and I'll just say this, that my husband challenges me all the time about community. And he yeah. always says this one thing to me. He says, do we as African-Americans really have community? Do we really? And he yeah. says, because African-American, that means that you have, you have home ownership, you have churches, you have hospitals, you have uh, retail, you have revenue generating things that you're painting. You have yeah. schools, you have things. That is what his community is. So I'm always just like, we got communities, you know, but he challenges me on that thinking. So one of the ways that I believe that we can get people to sit with us is by engaging them. So for instance, uh, I'll just start, start with financial workshops. So I can come in, right? And I could facilitate 
a workshop at your church, right? I have the material, I have the content, that's what I'm trained to do, I'm paid to do that. Is that the right approach? Or is the right approach that there is someone um, of, if we're looking for a younger demographic, let's say we're looking for a millennial to get them engaged. Is there someone in your congregation that already has that gift of teaching and facilitation that, or a couple of, of young people, if can I sit down and do train the trainer? So I present the content to them, the materials to them, and now they take ownership of it. And they say, okay, because what they're going to do is they're going to be so excited. They're going to put their own flavor and flair on it, right? Yeah. They're going to invite their friends and family because now they are the facilitator. So star the person that works for a company um, that can come in as a stranger. She's out of the equation. And now I'm gifted. So you're raising people up in those talents and allowing them to put their own flavor on it. And sometimes we're afraid to relinquish that control um, and really engage people because we don't want them to fix something. Because after we crafted it, it's perfect, right? That's what we yeah, think. We want the credit for <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want the credit. We, we want the credit for it, right? We want that for it. And some, so I have a couple of friends that are professional artists. And I was just thinking about something because I do believe sometimes we start things and we're not supposed to finish them. We don't have what it takes to finish them. So from a creative standpoint, I'm like, how hard is that? Like, because sometimes you write something and you don't want to let it go, but you don't always have, you don't have everything in you. It takes collaboration. So I, I reached out to a, a good friend of mine and I said, did you ever start a painting or a mural and then you gave it to someone else. You just gave it to them and yeah. allowed them to finish. And like one time, I was floored. I said, you did? And he said, yeah. He said, I just felt like, and he didn't say God laid it upon my heart. But he just said, I felt like someone else had the chops to finish it. Yeah. I, there was a young lady that was on the broadcast earlier. Uh, her name, Her real name was not Star, but... Uh, one of the things that uh, her name was Arcacia Croft and she's a sister of mine and and she talked about a mission trip that she went on where uh, they had this goal to build like a community center for this this uh, this uh, community and they had to get permits and so the entire three months that she was there she was literally just trying to get the permits <laughs> And, and there's so much red tape. And so she talked about how when she left to come back to the States, there was a part of her that felt like, man, I didn't complete the mission. Uh, but what she realized in hindsight was that she was the only one at that time who had the connections and the drive to actually get those permits. So it was really just her job to do the first leg and other people's job to do the other pieces. And so she says when she goes back there, she still feels like I built that building. Right, right, <laughs> you know, absolutely. I, I, I didn't dig anything. I, I didn't put any bricks there. I didn't lay any plumbing, but my part of the journey uh, uh, was, was, so, was still important. Uh, and so how do we train ourselves to understand? Because I think at, at some level, we think of ourselves as start and finish, 
when mm-hmm. and when the reality is is that there's this race that we're running and it's really more a handing off of batons mm. whereas everyone completes a leg of a journey but no one including dr king finishes the entire thing uh but that's okay <laughs> mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. so how do we how do we know uh, I'm in a, a position right now. I'm going to see my father as the pastor here. Yeah. Uh, so he's run a powerful leg, one of the most, yeah. one of the baddest legs I've ever seen. And so I know at some point that baton is going to be handed off. Uh, but one of the, the challenging pieces is to know at what point to hand the baton off because there's no clear mark like there is in track to say, hey, when he steps here, you start running. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, so, uh-huh. how do we how do we know that? And in, in not in a pastoral sense, but in in the sense of yeah of servants, community servants. Yeah. So I think that I think it takes a, a level of self awareness, and that's just not always easy. I mean, and not even just in a, even a pastoral sense, but sometimes in business, sometimes in even if you're creating like a generosity component, I think what I've seen is I've seen it done very well. Um, even here, like at Thriving, we've seen our CEO take us to one place and then he handed it over to someone else that became the CEO. What he didn't do was he didn't wait for it to die because yeah. sometimes people, uh, they even hoard that. They hoard the process of things yeah. and then they almost wait for it to die and then you hand off the next person, you know, almost like the presidency. You know, yeah, you yeah, yeah, kill yeah. the economy, you kill yeah. the trust of the people, <laughs> then you hand it over. Now Here you, you, go. you have it now. Yeah, How we ain't got no look? momentum. <laughs> right. There's been and a family in the land for the last 10 years. Oh, Lord, thank you. <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely. It makes me yeah. think of something that I heard. I think it was like on a, a Tyler Perry movie or something like that. And I think, I think that's what it was. And the guy was just saying, like, the sweet point is come on, almost like when you're at a high. Yeah. And that is hard. When you're a leader and you are winning yeah. and you're killing it, you want to ride that ride out. But sometimes that's the, that peak is when you have to hand it over and you have to train that you trained up, up is going to be capable of that momentum and keep it going up, 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 and up. And sometimes yeah. we wait things for things to die off. Then we be like, I'm tired. You got it. Yeah, I think that's that's a major challenge, even uh, in, in every aspect of what we do, is to understand that handing off the baton does not mean that you couldn't run the final 200 you know, feet. Like, you could yeah. run those 200 feet, but at the same token, we may not win the race collectively. Uh, and so I, I think what you're saying is, is very key because we have to understand uh, through a lot of self-reflection. Uh, and then the Bible says we should think of ourselves with sober judgment. That yeah. means we have to constantly be looking at ourselves and saying, okay, can I continue to run at this same pace? Uh, and at what point do I need to switch positions to make sure that we're able to complete what we finished collectively uh, and, 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 and understand that sometimes David collects all the resources, but Solomon actually gets to build. Uh, yeah. You know, Moses leads out, but Joshua gets to take in. And sometimes that's just the way it happens. 
Uh, and so we have to be very aware of that. And, and even with generosity, I think sometimes we don't start saving or start investing or start building because we say, well, I don't have enough to complete it. And it's like, nah, but we mm. do have enough to start it. So that all of these companies that we see started with someone saying, I'm going to start. Absolutely. They didn't have all of it, what it took to make Thrive and Thrive, you know, but they had enough to start. They had a dream. They had a vision. They had a desire. They had a passion. Absolutely. And they started walking towards it. And God added daily. And then it came to a certain point where someone else takes the baton and takes it to the next level. Uh, and so we got to keep, keep working at that. And so uh, I, I, I want to thank you for spending your time, one PK to another. Yes, <laughs> uh, PK. One another. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, because a lot goes into this. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. This has been a really, really productive and fruitful conversation. Yeah, well, I look forward to it. And uh, we'll continue to stay in co uh, contact with each other. And if you are watching this uh, at a later time, of course, this is going to be up. Uh, please don't hesitate to make comments. Uh, both of us are tagged in this so we can come back and actually make comments and reply to you. She's the expert. I just know how to ask good questions. <laughs> and and if, if we can do those things, uh, we can actually build community at such a rapid pace. Uh, and it starts with generosity. Uh, when you're starting something, yeah, you may have you in mind, but if you don't have this understanding of generosity and being a servant, uh, then you're not going to prosper. You, you just can't prosper. It's always thinking about you. You have to think outside of you. Uh, God gives us a gift, not for ourselves, but for others. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. He's a servant. He models this for us. Uh, and the sooner we understand that and start to think as generous people, prosperity will follow. I'm convinced of it. So I'm hoping that you, after watching this, are convinced as well and will just continue uh, or will start to flame the, the, the flames of generosity in your life. Now, uh, can you tell us how to get in contact with you? Give us uh, your contact info uh, so that yes. if someone's watching this later, they can be like, man, let me shoot her an email or let me add her yes. on the social medias. Yes, absolutely. So to get in touch with me, my email address is going to be star, S-T-A-R-R, dot Roberts at Thrivent. And that's the word Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E. It is a Nancy, T is in Tom, dot com. Uh, my number is 678-628-9030. If anything that you said is of interest and you're just looking for a path on how can I live out my generosity, um, I would love to answer questions. We can even get you started. We have a unique model at Thrivent on how we help people with the seed money to even be more generous. So I would love and welcome the opportunity to have a conversation with each and everyone that is interested in becoming more generous. And there you have it, brothers and sisters. I love y'all. And that has been our hour. Sorry it got broken up, uh, but make sure you listen to both of these because she shares so much and <laughs> Uh, in the first one, this is ridiculous. And then you got to hear part two. Uh, so make sure, hey, family, that's some family journalists from North Carolina. I love you. Uh, make sure that you listen to both of these uh, so that you can be blessed by this discussion. Love you guys. And thank you, Sister Star, for hanging out with us. You're today. welcome. Thank you, Pastor. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Right,